Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And my co-host today, you might know this comedian from virtual shows. I just, I learned he's been hosting from a shed studio in his yard for the past three years. He has an upcoming album called Glenn Tickle Against the World Crime League. And also, you can listen to back episodes of his podcast, Improvised Wikipedia, that are available on the usual suspect platforms. Glenn Tickle, welcome to the show. What else do the people need to know about you before we get started? Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, and mentioning Improvised Wikipedia, I, we, uh, we're on kind of a, a weird hiatus because scheduling is hard, as, as I'm sure you both know. Sometimes uh, you gotta go on a weird podcast hiatus. That I, I'm, yeah. I have a separate pod. We're on a long hiatus right now. Like, that's just, it's gotta stay a passion pursuit. It's been off and on over the years, and then during the pandemic, it's just been hard to get together. But it is—it's uh, a real fun show. We we rewrite Wikipedia entries without doing any research on them. You're the Chat GPT of Wikipedia entries, just spewing it out into the world, regardless yeah. of the sources you link to. Correct. We're just—I mean, we don't—we don't have editing privileges on Wikipedia. We're not—we're not actually defacing any real information. Of course, yes. Uh, yet, I mean, we do—we uh, <laughs> do encourage people to make some updates after listening to to the episode. To um, encourage the uh, the proletariat to get out there and set the record yeah. straight, to make information great again. Right. Like, you know, maybe you just have to put in the the Wikipedia entry for cardinals that, like, my mom thinks they're good birds and <laughs> has a lot of, like, cardinal Beautiful. things in her kitchen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Glenn Tickle against the World Crime League. Where yes. in your workshopping, in your crafting, in your like putting the material together for a full comedy album, did you realize that was the title you had to go with? <laughs> when, when, when I made that bad decision. Uh, so, in my, I, I put a special out in 2020 uh, called Good Grief. And in the credits for that, I put Watch for Glenn Tickle's Next Adventure, Glenn Tickle Against the World Crime League, oh. uh, as a joke, because my, my favorite movie, not the one we're talking about today, uh, but my favorite movie is The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Oh. And in the end of that movie, they put Watch for Buckaroo's Next Adventure, Buckaroo Banzai Against the World Crime League, but oh, that movie that. lost so much money <laughs> and did not <laughs> did not live on to a sequel. Um, and so in 2020, I'm like, oh, I'll put that in as a joke for me. Yeah. And then three years later, I'm, I'm putting a new special together, and it's like, well, I don't have a better name, so mm-hmm. <laughs> I might as well just stick with that one. And Listen. then they put... They put Promises that out made, as a promise novel. Promises kept. Yeah, I put one in uh, the credits for for my special that just came out. Uh, in the credits for that one, it says, "Watch for Glenn Tickle's next adventure." Glenn Tickle live in Budapest, which <laughs> I have I have no way of making that happen. <laughs> like I don't you I can't. don't have any shows booked or contacts mm-hmm. or anything. I'm like I'm just gonna call this shot. I'm gonna do the next one in a in in Hungary. I, I was trying to think of you know titles for other albums, and mm. I I like the idea of putting this wild called shot of like I'm gonna go perform in a country <laughs> I've never been to that speaks a different language than I do that is really hard to learn, and I'm gonna try to tell them jokes. I I'm I've been trying to learn Hungarian, and I I don't think I'm ever gonna get it well enough to perform in. Uh, but I'm like they you know a lot of people in in Europe are bilingual, and there's English language comedy in Hungary that I'm aware of. So it's like, I can get people to come who will understand what I'm saying, but like, will they get the jokes? Have they seen Jurassic Park as many times as I would like to talk about it? Like that's, that's going to be the real challenge is just cultural references more than language, I think. I will get to the dad aspect of of this conversation. We're going to start with the indie cinema aspect could you yeah. please tell us uh, the character, the film character that you have brought for us to discuss today? Yes, I have chosen uh, Mr. Dante Hicks from 1994 classic Clerks. Uh, what? No, I don't work today. I'm playing hockey at two. Why don't you call Randall? Because I'm fucking tired. 
I just closed last night. <sighs> Jesus. What time do you think you're gonna come in? 12? Be there by 12? Swear. Swear you'll be there by 12 and I'll do it. Now, was it, like, as soon as you picked that, like, the first thing that popped in my mind was I wasn't even supposed to be here today. Yeah. And so does that, like, is that feel thematically resonant for you? Like, you, at points in your life, just, I wasn't even supposed to be here today. When did you start connecting with Dante Hicks? Uh, immediately, which is weird because, so that movie came out in 1994. I would have been 11. Mm. Uh, so I didn't see it until high school. I would also like to just, just throw out there that, uh, I acknowledge that maybe the movie hasn't aged as well <laughs> as, uh, we it may have, others might have over the past sure. 30 years, but, sure. uh, cause I rewatched the, the clerk's all of it this weekend because mm-hmm. um, there's three movies now and the the animated series um, <laughs> yeah. but particularly in the first movie because mm-hmm. I saw it the first time in high school uh, I was a freshman uh, one of the seniors who was also in the play I was doing mm-hmm. was like have you seen Clerks and I was like no I'm a child I, I don't know why you <laughs> think I would and he's like I think you would like it and I don't know why he we we didn't know each other that well uh, what an interesting, what an yeah. interesting read. It was. It's another comedian, uh, Chris McDevitt. He's a he's a comic out of Philly. We went to high school together. He was a couple years older than me. Okay, uh, but for some reason, he sees fourteen year old me, and he's like, "This kid would love Clerks." Uh, yeah, and so he let me borrow his VHS copy, and I watched it, and I was like, "You're right. I <laughs> I loved Clerks," and in. It's going to sound like I'm overstating this, but uh, watching Clerks in high school, I think, had a more like direct cause and effect impact on my life than probably anything else I've ever done, than any wow. like single act. Because please share, like, how did how is this true? Uh, so it's I I love the movie, but it's not even about like the quality of of the movie itself. It is just if you asked me at 14 what I wanted to B. I probably would have said writer, but like with no real plan or understanding of like how you make that a job. Just yeah, like yeah, yeah. seemed like a thing I would enjoy. Mm-hmm. I kind of liked the vibe of it. And <laughs> I've loved movies and comedy my whole life. And when you're eight and you go see Jurassic Park in the theater, it would be such a wild jump for someone to see Jurassic Park and be like, I'm going to make Jurassic Park. I can do that. Right, I have, yeah. I'm going to make this some giant... This feels tangible to <laughs> yeah. me. This could be a career. I'm going to make Jurassic Park. It's one of those things where it's like, you hear it so many from, uh, so many times from people who work in creative fields where like, I didn't realize that this was even a choice until like my mid-20s. Right. And I think with film especially, uh, I'm, I'm, I grew up in New Jersey and, you know, there's film stuff around sometimes, but it's yeah. not like, I didn't know anybody who worked in movies. And, you know, even though every movie you see has 2,000 names at the end of it of all the people who helped make it happen, you're like, mm-hmm. I don't know, movies just happen, I guess. They, yeah, they just, they're just, they just are uh, things that pop out in, of, of the ether, and then I have them. Yeah, then I just watch them 400 times until the tape wears out, and then I have to get <laughs> yeah. another copy of Star Wars. And it's, with, with Clerks, though, like, you grow up watching Star Wars and Jurassic Park, you're like, movies are great. I love these. And then yeah. when I watched Clerks, uh, it was like, oh, you can just, you can just do it. You can yeah. just make, I can make Clerks. Yeah. And every, I've, I've said this to Kevin Smith. So like, it, I know it feels like a dig where I was like, yeah, I can make this movie. I'm, no, I'm but 14, you're exactly but, right. You're exactly right. Yeah. Cause it's like a couple of people in a convenience store. That's what, that's yeah. what the movie is. Hey, let me borrow your car. I don't want to talk to you. Fine, just let me borrow your car. Why should I loan you my car? I want to rent a movie. You want to rent a movie? I want to rent a movie. What's that for? You work in a video store. I work in a shitty video store. I want to go to a good video store so I can get a good movie. 
And he has said the same thing. Uh, Kevin Smith has said the same thing about Richard Linkletter's Slacker of like, mm. that's the movie that made him realize that you can just, you could just do it. I've talked to, I had Ty West on the show and he brought on Peter Jackson, Peter Jackson's um, Brain Dead. <laughs> yeah. I hope I'm remembering that. Might be conflating an early title there, but I think it was Brain Dead. But he talked about that as like, he brought that down as like what he identified with because it was, he watched that and was like, oh, I can make this. Yeah. Like, this is just this guy and his friends. I can make, I can run around and film myself trying to break into a car. Like, that's so possible for me. Yeah. So that's exactly what this was for me. So I think I, I identified more with uh, Kevin Smith, but, like, Dante is Kevin Smith's, like, self-insert character. Like, he mm-hmm. is uh, who he was at the time. And then the whole thing, it's wild because I don't know if it was because I saw it so early that it had such an impact on me but like Mm. the second i had a job i was like i do not like this i don't (laughs) i was i am a miserable employee regardless of what the job is uh and like i love stand-up comedy but if you told me that like a show was canceled and i could just go home i'm thrilled like I, i love doing it but i also love not having to do anything and so the like you said, you know the the line everyone knows. I'm not even supposed to be here today. It's like, yeah, that's hey, that's like, how I feel about any job I've ever had. It's like I don't think, <laughs> I don't think I belong at you know this position. You know what the real tragedy about all this is? I'm not even supposed to be here today. Oh fuck you, fuck you, pal. Jesus, there you go, trying to pass the buck. I'm the source of all your misery. Who closed the store to play hockey? Who closed the store to go to a wake? Who tried to win back his ex-girlfriend without even discussing how he felt with his present one? You want to blame somebody? Blame yourself. I'm not even supposed to be here today. You sound like an asshole. Uh, and I, I went on to, to work in video stores in high school and college. Yeah. Uh, mostly, I probably would have done that anyway because I do. Like I said, I've, I I grew up watching and loving movies. And the second I found out that if you work at Blockbuster, you can take out five movies for free every yep. week, I was like, well, yeah, I'll just go work there. <laughs> like that's yeah. problem solved. Yeah. And um, it is. It's one of those things where it's like that's probably the the job I was best at of any like regular person job I've ever yeah. had. But it's it's not around anymore. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's fucking not around anymore. Yeah, I worked at a blockbuster in high school, and then I worked at like a small indie video store in college. Ugh. And you're a part both, of history. You're a yeah, part of history for that. Both of them. My favorite thing to do in that job was if it's like busy, they would just have somebody walk around the floor and help people find the movie they're looking for. Yeah, because you couldn't just look it up. You know, you didn't have yeah. the internet on your phone. So a big part of my job because they knew they're like. This kid knows a lot about movies. So Friday and Saturday night, they're like, Glenn, just go walk around, help people find the movie. (laughs) Because they'd be like, hey, I don't remember the title or (laughs) anything that happens. Wow. Or what year it came out. You were the living movie database. You were the LMDB. We had, uh, I think it was Video Hound Guide. was like a printed out IMDB. It's like a phone book. I was going to say, was just, that the big book, the big yeah. book that you guys had? We had one of those, and that was helpful. But, like, a lot of times it was just people were looking for the same four or five movies. So that kind of, like, narrows it down. And then it's, oh, interesting. like, it's usually a Tom Hanks movie. So if you just <laughs> if you just start listing Tom Hanks movies, that's probably going to cover about 80% of the people. Uh-huh. Um, I did like convincing people to rent Magnolia. Oh, uh, my God. Which is a movie I love. Did you sell it honestly or did you trap them? Both. Okay. Uh, if, if someone in my small New Jersey town seemed like they would actually like it, I, would, I was always genuinely very happy to like recommend it. And this was, uh, while I worked at Blockbuster, was the switch from VHS to DVD. Okay. So uh, the initial pitch of this was I'm trying to get people to rent a two-tape set. Yeah. Of Magnolia, which is a tough sell uh-huh. on any movie except for Titanic. The second it was a two tape release, people as were like, As soon as you said two tape, not. I immediately thought of my double VHS of Titanic. Yes. Yeah. So I would talk them into renting this because they would always bring it back immediately and be mad at me. <laughs> and that was so much fun uh, <laughs> because. I don't. It's been a while since I've seen it. I don't remember if it's the first scene, but pretty early on, Tom Cruise's character has uh, like a pretty divisive speech. 
<laughs> oh, yeah. I watched that fairly recently, but I forget when specifically he comes in the movie. But as yeah. soon as he enters, I believe he is talking about the power of the cock. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and my my favorite thing was because it was on VHS. I could see the moment they paused it and put it out because they did it not back. be kind and rewind. No, they're not. They're not going <laughs> to rewind a minute and a half. They're just going to bring it back and demand something else. And part of it was like I do genuinely love that movie, but I understand that like it's challenging to get through. It's very long. It is dense. And you have to watch Tom Cruise yell about cock for a good long time. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I wasn't a great employee. <laughs> like it's probably better <laughs> that I don't that I don't keep doing that. I would also uh, get people to rent the wrong Jack Frost. Oh because my, wait, so like the Michael Keaton. Yeah, there's snowman a Michael Keaton one? family. The dad dies and becomes a magical snowman and it's yeah. heartwarming. And then there's another one where Jack Frost is a monster. And I think people, Shannon Elizabeth might be in that movie. Oh man, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever be. actually watched like, it, it. it. Yeah, it's a horror movie about a about a, a, a Mr. Frosty creature. Yeah, so I would just switch them on the shelf, like <laughs> every day. That's terrorism. Because no one would check, you know. Like, no. it's, well, you're the one who's supposed to be checking. Yeah, it's. <laughs> I'm. I am. Just torpedoing any future employment opportunities. When Blockbuster comes back, they are going to just absolutely not offer me my old job. <laughs> They're like, no. Uh, shouts out to me. Shannon Elizabeth, fact check from producer Marissa, is in the Jack Frost creature feature movie. Well just want to make sure uh, that's out there. From 1997, she's reporting through through the wires. Um, <laughs> I was, I was so, trying yeah. to remember the year. I'm like, that must have been an early... Shannon Elizabeth appearance. Yeah, that's a that's some early that's some pre-American pie Shannon yeah. Elizabeth. Coming on strong. <laughs> um you you how many people you set up with with that early introduction to Shannon Elizabeth? Who knows? Who knows? But I'm really that like, one I'm, that wasn't active. That was like passive. I would just I would just when somebody rented one, I would just put them in the wrong spot cuz it was funny. <laughs> no one's like, "Do you have that Michael Keaton Snowman movie?" I was like, "Yeah, it's over here in the horror section for some reason. Don't worry about it. It'll Don't be fine." Don't worry about it. Yeah. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. Yeah. You know that article's accurate? Caitlin really's getting married. You know what I just watched? Me pulling a can off some moron's fist? Return of the Jedi. Didn't you hear me? Caitlin is really getting married. What did you like better? Jedi or the Empire Strikes Back? Empire. Blasphemy. I'm, I'm really glad you brought this movie to discuss, because obviously, like, it's a classic of its kind. It is, um, it is so representative of that 90s in an indie cinema explosion yeah. where like you you look back and you watch some of these movies now you really do see films that are like wow I can make movies with friends like mm -hmm. if I have something I can hold in my hand that I can shoot and they're like that's not something like the movie The Gallows exists now like Blumhouse picked it up and they made it for you know a bunch of kids made it for $15,000 I think at their like high school theater mm -hmm. sold it to Blumhouse like not a great movie, but good for them. Ingenuity. Like, and a Sean Baker can make something like Tangerine shooting on an iPhone in Los Angeles. Like, there right. are ways to bootstrap cinema. But there is less of that tangible, I think, believable feeling that people have where while the tools to make movies are more ubiquitous and accessible than ever, the idea of making a feature that makes it to Sundance, that it blows you up and creates an institution like Kevin Smith as an OTOR force, mm -hmm. that doesn't, that path feels like harder to tap into. But so like, tell me about the power of like, as much as you, you worked at a video store, maybe you didn't care about the movies, maybe you love these movies. It sounds like you were the Glenn movie database. Right. Tell me about like that, indie feeling of the 90s where just getting together and kind of creating a little revolution with your buddies and making cinema like kind of felt possible at the time like tell me about Absolutely. that era that attitude so i started high school in 1997 mm -hmm. uh and like i said so that was a couple of years after clerks had been out and was on video and and mm -hmm. you know the older kids were aware of it and yeah. then once i got my hand on it that's when i we did you know my friends and i we would like seek out like other Indie stuff. Well, like I heard Kevin mention Slacker in an interview. So then I went and watched Slacker and it's like, yeah, you, this is all like, you can really just get a camera and some friends. So yeah. all through high school, I was, you know, making videos and shorts and stuff with my friends, but with no real 
plan. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to make a movie. It's like, we're going to screw around with video camera and make jokes. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what we were doing. But it, it did. I'm like, well, I'll go, to, I'll go to film school, and then I'll learn how to do this for real, and then I will make a movie, and then mm-hmm. I will get to keep making movies forever. Yeah. And uh, that didn't exactly pan out, but sure. I did end up going to school for film. Uh, it gave me a reason to, like... I was never a great student, but that gave me a reason to want to do well enough in high school that I would get into college. Mm, But it also gave me like an idea of what to put effort into in high school. Like if I was taking a class, if I, if it was something I thought would help my eventual film career, Mm -hmm. I was like trying my best. If I, if I didn't, I would just squeak by with a C and just be fine. Um, (laughs) Yeah. It's like, yeah, I don't know that Algebra 2 is really going to come up a whole bunch. So, like, just tell me what I got to do to pass, and then uh-huh. that'll be that'll be the end of it. And so I did. I ended up going to uh, to Seton Hall for one semester to, to study film because they didn't tell me until I got there. But they're like, oh, yeah, you can't check any film equipment out on your own until you're a junior. And it's like, well, oh. well why am I here? I don't want to – I don't want to just sit here for two years. <laughs> yeah. So I, I transferred – uh, to beautiful Ramapo College of New Jersey uh-huh. because I was visiting my my then friend uh, now wife uh, who was going there and we were walking congratulations around. on that arc that's great thank news. you yeah it was it worked out good uh, but we, we were walking around the campus and we walked past the the like the closet that they kept all the film equipment in mm-hmm. and the guy was like checking stuff in from students I was like hey. Uh, can students check cameras out? And he's like, yeah. yeah. I'm like, when? He's like, well, we're open from this time to this time. I'm like, no, like at what point <laughs> in their education, like what year? He's like, if you're enrolled in any film class, you can check out film cameras. And I was okay. like, I will see you next semester, my guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's, I left Seton Hall, went to Rampo, and then immediate, like, I think it was two weeks after the semester started was when we were allowed to check equipment out. And I, I had cameras out almost every weekend for the five and a half years that I spent at that school. Mm -hmm. And we made mostly kind of the same thing because like some of my friends from childhood ended up going there too. So we would just keep making dumb videos together. And then, but I started taking it more seriously and I would do like, you know, I would try to do real art, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it was around the time, you know, that's early 2000s now. So there's a lot of great indie cinema, kind of like a, a second or third wave yeah. uh, of, you know, people responding to and kind of imitating guys like Kevin Smith or, or Tarantino. Was I was going to say one. the Quentin Tarantino, Kevin every, Smith boom of Every influence. screenwriting class I took was somebody had some version of a Tarantino <sighs> movie Wow, uh, where it's just like, it's... I don't. I'm. I'm not a big Tarantino fan, so it always like confused me. I was like, "Why this guy? Like, why?" <laughs> it's not that I don't think he's talented. It's just like sure. it, none of this is for me. Um, uh-huh. But like, why is this the thing that my peers are latching onto, and not yeah. like uh, Todd Salons or like yeah. somebody else? And every semester, it's like oh, somebody's gonna rob the mob by accident. We all get <laughs> yeah. it. How many heads are going in the duffel bag this time, Derek? Like, wow. It's it's all, it was all like knockoff mob stuff for a while. And it's like, you were ah. watching such a class of film bro yeah. rise to the ranks at that time. Wow. Yeah. That's and it was rough. And I love Quentin Tarantino, but that shit is rough. Yeah. I, it's some of the stuff I do really like, but then when you start seeing just like the bad imitations, it's like, yeah. Oof. And that's true of Kevin Smith as well, admittedly. Like, God, yeah. the first the first couple screenplays I turned out in college, I'm sure, would be unreadable now. And <laughs> but thankfully, because I found this at 14, like I got a couple bad ones out of my way before I even yeah. got to college. And it's like, come on, like, try harder. <laughs> and Well, it's so, like there's there's no like even, you know, many as many imitators and aspiring um, you know, successors as Quentin Tarantino birthed and Kevin Smith did the same like there's a bombast about Tarantino like the idea of being that big and over the top like I I obviously understand the appeal of that but there's something so important about a Kevin Smith like figure where it truly is just like no the guy I see leaning against the wall at a convenience store has perhaps has the inner life the desire the ensemble of people around him to Mm -hmm. bring something like this to life there it creates 
inaccessibility. Like you said, you're not watching Star Wars thinking like, oh, I'm going to make a movie. A plenty of kids did. But like for a lot of other people, seeing Dante, seeing seeing Jay, seeing Silent Bob is like, no, that's my pathway into thinking that I can make characters that feel as real to me or as special to me as maybe somebody else is latching on to a Han Solo or to a Mr. Pink. Yeah. And my I, my my one film professor that I had the most in college uh, was this guy named Fred Stripe, and he always hammered home the advice of write for location, like write write <laughs> yeah. with what you have. Like, don't uh-huh. do you have access to giant dinosaur puppets? No, then you're not going to make a Jurassic Park <laughs> when you're in college. You're going to a mid tier state school in New Jersey. Like, yeah. work with what you have. So well, I think that's what like the Duplass brothers when they started out they call yeah. it like they referred to that as the found materials school of filmmaking. What do you have around you? Yeah. Who do you have? We have, have a around puffy you? chair and the some puffy mini chair. DV tapes. Let's make this happen. Yeah, Baghead, this mm-hmm. is John the short film that kind of catapulted them like yeah. just like you know the idea of that you know, in that tradition of Kevin Smith of just, do you have an idea that this is John short film? Like, I think Mark talks about that in hindsight being like, there's like a dead pixel in the middle of the frame. And it's just a guy who descends into a breakdown while he's leaving an outgoing message for his voicemail. And he suddenly has to figure out who he is condensed into a short time to let people know that they can leave him a message. Mm -hmm. And now like, you have them moving on to overall deals with Netflix and HBO and bringing a whole coterie of filmmakers with them. Like, these are miraculous stories of what can feel like the any person director. Yeah, and that was, I mean, like I said, just as another guy, you know, Kevin Smith is from New Jersey, so I, I yeah. related to him from a really early age. Just like, especially hearing me in interviews talk about it. I know there are people who do not like Kevin Smith's work or seem to like him as a person. Mm-hmm. And, uh, some of the I have a harder time defending some of the work. Like I just rewatched sure. Clerks too. I'm not going to tell anybody that's an <laughs> yeah. excellent piece of cinema, but yeah. the, just the guy just seems so genuinely happy to be getting to do what he wants to do. Yeah, uh, he is. I've only ever heard like stories of him helping like other filmmakers at an early age, um, and it's like I don't understand what about him as a person turns people off, but. I don't know. He he seems nice. I've gotten to meet him a couple times. Has has been great, uh, both <laughs> with both interactions, um, and it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, just he seems so happy at yeah. any given time that this is how life turned out. He's not like, oh, well, this is because I'm incredible. Like I like yeah. you talked about like the bombast with Tarantino. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I even though I like some of Tarantino's movies, I there's no one I want to listen to talk about film less. Uh, because (laughs) it is like well here's what i did that was so like original and creative and it's like well (laughs) i mean all right i get like calm down (laughs) and yeah i mean listen i love the guy but he's also like he's he's the greatest stitcher together of pastiche that could ever exist like he has plenty of original ideas but also his thing is homage and like making other (laughs) bringing other movies to life in his movies like so okay kevin smith Um, is just like isn't it great that i got to make movies with my friends that's wild i know ben affleck now isn't that cool (laughs) Isn't that cool? Yeah, it is. It's kind of cool. It's time for us to take a short break. And I'll be right back with Glenn when I ask him about his other answer to our feeling scene question. Then I will have one quick thing about a nice little fun Halloween movie recommendation you can check out. Let's spread the good news about the good scary movies coming out this season. So stick around. Hi, I'm Bikram Chatterjee, the CEO of Maximum Fun, and I'm here with my fellow worker owner, Marissa Flaxbart, producer. This week for Co-Optober, we'll be highlighting other co-ops who work in the arts. The past few years have been challenging for all kinds of creative industries. We at MaxFun believe that co-ops are better suited to meet these challenges, and there are a lot of other companies who feel the same way. So all this week on our social media and website, we'll be sharing interviews with some of our fellow co-ops. And head to our YouTube channel, Friday, October 20th, where I'll be talking with worker owners from Defector and Stocksy about their co-ops and why the model works for them. And next week is Volunteer Week. Learn how you can participate in that and get details on exclusive merch, our live streams, and other Co-October happenings at MaximumFun.org 
slash co-optober. That's C-O-O-P-T-O-B-E-R. All right, class. Tomorrow's exam will cover the science of cosmic rays, the morals of art forgery, and whether or not fish can drown. Any questions? Yes, you in the back. Uh, what is this? It's the podcast Let's Learn Everything, where we learn about science and a bit of everything else. My name's Tom. I study cognitive and computer science, but I'll also be your teacher for intermediate emojis. My name's Caroline, and I did my master's in biodiversity conservation, and I'll be teaching you intro to things the British Museum stole. My name's Ella. I did a PhD in stem cell biology, so obviously I'll be teaching you the history of fan fiction. Class meets every other Thursday on Maximum Fun. So do I still get credit for this? (laughs) No. (laughs) Obviously not. No. It's a podcast. (laughs) Welcome back to Feeling Seen. Today I'm joined by Glenn Tickle, who, in addition to being a comedian, is also a father of two. That detail of his life is going to be pertinent to our conversation in just a second here. Let's get back to it. There's an aspect of this, too, where, like, a character that you originally presented as as someone that you identified with, I feel like this does, this, to me, kind of parallels the arc of Kevin Smith a bit, where, like, Kevin Smith was, you know, Silent Bob holding up a wall, mm-hmm. and then he has this improbable career, and then you have, you know, a movie thrown into it where, like, at a certain point, like, Kevin Smith becomes a dad. And, yeah. and I think of, like, Kev- one of Kevin Smith's, like, Shouts out to also Red State that Kevin Smith made, which is a white knuckle thriller. That yeah. guy has got a range that people don't really talk about that it's much. So, it's so wild. Yeah, I, Red State's actually really good. I, I don't really love horror. So like when, when he got into do, like doing that and Tusk, it's like, I'll go see them. Like I'll, uh-huh. I'll absolutely, you know, I'll, I'll throw money for a ticket for anything Kevin Smith does. But, you know, Red I'm like, this is like genuinely compelling. And yeah. in a way and that, like, a, when I see horror Leo movies, Melissa Leo is in it. My God! Yeah, uh, Tusk was ju- Tusk was pretty weird. That one was kind of rough to get through. Yeah, but, Tusk is a really alienating body horror movie. Yeah, but, but again, then, like, it was just like I, I want to make a weird, weird movie where some guy turns somebody else into a walrus. Because why not? It's like, go ahead, man. Yeah, and I like, and and I I see like I align Kevin Smith so much with like being a family man, kind of at this point. Yeah. He loves to talk about how much he loves his wife. Like his his daughter comes up a bunch. Harley Quinn Smith mm-hmm. in and in twenty sixteen he made Yoga Hosers, mm-hmm. starring Harley Quinn and starring a, a young Lily Rose Depp. And I don't like that movie, but am have been so compelled at points by the notion of tiny. Nazi bratwursts as enemies <laughs> yeah. that I have watched that movie at least a half a dozen times. I've sought it out. I've been like, you know what I need? I kind of need to watch Yoga Hosers again, and I don't particularly know why. But I wanted to hear about the other character you presented as an option is the TV character, Bandit the Dad from Bluey. Yes. Bingo, did you remember your jumper? I'm at my house. It's a hundred miles away from you. Oh, Okay. But did you bring your jumper? You don't understand. She's too far away to hear you. You have to ring her on the phone. Ah, all right. Call bingo. Ring, 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 ring. Ring, 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 ring. Ring, 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 ring. Ring, 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 ring. Hello? Oh, I'm actually after bingo. Oh, you have the wrong number. This is Marjorie. Oh, sorry, Marjorie. My mistake. Let it happen again. So at a certain point, your life and career leans toward, and I've looked, you know, like you're looking up in your website and you're like, comic and weird dad and like being a dad. Listen, I like my kids. So like, right. tell me about the arc of life where then you start identifying with the TV character dad to the, to like, I don't know, maybe the definitive children's television show of our time, Bluey. Probably. Several of my friends who are, are parents with like little kids now are like, Bluey's raising my children at this point. Like it's like <laughs> Daniel Tiger and Bluey are raising my kids. It's, it's great. I love it so much. And <laughs> a thing that I connected to, like somebody recommended it. So we put it on and my kids liked it, but like immediately I was like, this is, I've, I've never seen myself more in a character on TV. <laughs> than bandit because what is it about bandit he's trying i think honestly that's what it is because so many tv dads are either 
you you are a perfect Danny Tanner. You know, you're keeping the house clean. The kids are all going to school. You know, maybe yep. somebody's friend brings a cigarette home once and you have like a family meeting about it, but everything's <laughs> going to be okay. Yeah, you're or, Coach Taylor. Yeah. Or you get your Al Bundy and it's like the there's no real middle ground <laughs> uh, usually. And it's uh, TV dads are usually presented as like, bumbling idiots yeah. who who are essentially an, a, one additional child that the mom on the show has to wrangle. Completely. And not that that's not necessarily applicable for me, but Bandit is a good dad mm-hmm. and it is not presented as like a weird thing. It's not unusual. I don't know if that's just because they're Australian, but like <laughs> yeah. the other dads on the show also seem like pretty involved in their kid's life. Like they're mm-hmm. around. There is one episode where one of Bluey's friends is trying to play a game that she learned from Bluey's dad with her dad. Mm-hmm. And her dad is just not getting it. Like he is not that <laughs> level of fun. You're going to love this game, Chloe. How do you play it? Dad, can you explain it? Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> okay, I'll explain it. Dad's the octopus. That's why he talks like that. Blah, 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 blah. And we're fish or something. And we have to steal his treasure. And get back to our fish home. Uh, is that all the rules, Dad? <laughs> <laughs> but he, yeah. like, then tries. He's like, well, let me... Because the game's called Octopus, if anybody knows the episode I'm talking about. Okay. But he is like a kind of introverted nerd, this other dad. So mm-hmm. he goes online and does a bunch of research about octopuses and then <laughs> like teaches his kid and then they just play a different version of the game. And then when uh, this girl goes back to play with Bluey and her dad, then they are like, they have a hybrid version of this game now. And it's like, yeah, like that dad tried. And mm-hmm. that's what I don't see a lot in, in TV. It's like, if you watch Everybody Loves Raymond, he's just like annoyed because the kids are interrupting when he's trying to watch the big game or whatever. I'm like, I, <laughs> I've i never had that experience. Like, I at no point have I been sitting there watching like a sport mm-hmm. and thinking like, God, I wish my kids would shut up so I could watch baseball. Uh, I have watched uh, competitive chess and tried to get them on board <laughs> a few times, but never... <laughs> Never successfully. I think that's really, I think that's a very fantastic point. And it's not something that, like, we have explored a lot on this show, which is the notion of just, like, good, positive, solid dad representation. And I think, actually, like, the Dante to Bandit Bluey, Bandit of Bluey pipeline to me, and then looking at that as a parallel track to the, like, Kevin Smith the guy who, like, puts Dante in as his avatar at a New Jersey convenience store who, like, has a day job but wasn't supposed to be there and you feeling a sense of that echoing in your own life, just, like, having these day jobs but feeling like it just never fits, the shoe never quite fits. Like, I do think that, like, I can see why Kevin Smith would really have resonated with you as a young person because, you know, at your core, you guys are New Jersey dads and you grew into these roles in your life that seem to fit you well where you are. And, you know, I I hope you're feeling as happy to be here as Kevin Smith is at this point. I do know, I, I've heard of, like, dads who don't, who, they're like, I'm not letting my kid watch Bluey because I can't compete with that. And it's like, well, <laughs> try, <laughs> you know, but yeah. do your best. But I'm sure there is, there are a lot of former Dante's current bandits out there. Okay, so, Glenn. We have Clerks 1 through 3, and we have a Clerks show. We have, um, what I'm going to tie together is the sort of parallel um, parallel growth arcs of you and Kevin Smith. You, we're going to call you the Kevin Smith of uh, your milieu in comedy and fatherhood. So what is, like, as opposed to the Clerks 2 and 3 that turned out in our world that we live in, what, you know, what is your third Clerks installment as a man who started, a boy who started as a Dante at just the tender age of, like, early high school? Mm-hmm. Where is your sort of, like, Clerks 3 Dante arc taking you to that you that you hope to explore? That's a great question. And I think it is uh, how I ended up just kind of doing comedy instead of film, which was... Mm. You know, I saw Clerks and I was like, oh, I can, I'm going to go make movies. This is what I want to do. 
and I, I made one my last year of college and then uh, it didn't get bought at Sundance and like launch a career. <laughs> it like yeah. played much smaller festivals and people told me I did a good job, but then that was about the extent of it. And <laughs> then I couldn't, I, I was doing like some freelance video work. I couldn't get hired to write uh, or get anything else I was writing produced, but standups were getting hired for writing gigs. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. I know how jokes work and I don't mind standing in front of people. I will go mm-hmm. do that until I get a writing job. And then the <laughs> second I started doing open mics, I was like, oh, this is really fun. And the immediacy of it, I think, is what grabbed me. Where, you know, if you write a script, it can be literal years before you find out if an audience likes the thing that you're trying to make. Because yeah. you have to, you know, you're Ugh. doing rewrites, you're casting it, you're shooting it, editing it, maybe you get it into a festival. And Hoping you get financing, trying to get yeah. financing. Financing falls through, you find different financing. Stand-up is just, I can be on stage, have a thought in the moment, say it out loud, and then immediately know if people like it or not. And yeah. and for a guy with ADD, I'm like, that's unbeatable. Like, there is no, <laughs> there's no competing with the immediate, you know, narcissistic attention I crave of just <laughs> everyone in the room has to look at me because that's the arrangement. I say my mm-hmm. funny little thoughts and they tell me what a good job I do. And it's, that's, that's all I need. And then, so it was a couple years before uh, between when I started stand-up and, and became a dad, I was, I've been married mm-hmm. the whole time. Um, mm-hmm. But once my daughter was born, and uh, it was, I, th- I, I think I've told this story before, uh, but it was with uh, past guest Mike Kaplan. Uh, oh! I was, I was scheduled to do a show where I was opening for him, and I'd worked with him a couple of times. Uh, I'm a huge fan of his. So I canceled every other show that I had around like my daughter's due date. Cause I'm like, I don't know. I'm not, I don't want to have to cancel last minute or like worry oh, about it. So I canceled everything except for this Mike Kaplan show, which ended up yeah. being, I think it was like three or four days after. No, not even. It was like two, it was, we were still in the hospital. Um, so I, I go from the hospital to steel stacks in Bethlehem to open for Mike Kaplan. And when I get there, I realize like, I've actually not put any thought into what, I am going to say. Uh, I had, I'd been doing it a few years. Like I had material, but I didn't have like a set list or whatever. And I'd been awake for like two or three days straight. Uh, I, I, I fainted when my daughter was born. So like I was at that point, I was awake for a couple of days. I'd been in and out of the emergency room and I was like, yeah, but I still want to go do this show. So I go and I just talked about how tired I was and how it's weird that I had a kid now and like just talked about how I fainted in the delivery room. And it's not like, I'm not saying the material like crushed, but it did well. And the, the way that people reacted to it felt different than the way they were reacting to like jokes about my dog or whatever. Yeah. Where it's like, oh, if I talk about my kid, people seem to connect to that, which is great. Because if you've ever met a new parent before, all they want to do is talk about their kid. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, well, I, I, would, I would be talking about my kid either way. It's great that, that yeah. you guys seem to like it. And it yeah. gave me... Because you're my hostages now. Yeah. It's like, I was, I'm going to do it. So get on board. It's now, I do that with <laughs> other things now. In, uh, in the new special, I, I have like a pretty long bit about the Great Emu War of 1932 uh, which is like a thing that happened in Australia. And it's like, well, I thought you guys knew about this, but you don't. So I'm just going to spend five minutes and just explain it. And Great. It's, I, it's that, but with fatherhood for like, for a couple of years. <laughs> and it gave me, like I said, like a real focus of, you know, before that it was just, I would sit around and think like, all right, what are audiences going to think is funny? Like, what should I write jokes about that? Yeah. Like people will like, and then once I had a kid, it's like, I'll, I'll just talk about this. Like, this is, yeah. th- this is all I'm thinking about now anyway, and I will make it the audience's problem. <laughs> but thankfully, it worked <laughs> out. And it has been, uh, like, enough of my material over the years has been, like, about my kids and being a father that it's like, well, yeah, it does yeah. feel weird to not kind of acknowledge it 
at like a brand level, which feels gross to say. Yeah. But I do a lot of colleges, and when I started doing them, I my daughter was like two or three, I think, the first time I went and did like an APCA event. And I did my showcase, and then like other – like college agents and stuff were like, oh, man, you blew it. Like you can't talk about being married or having kids at colleges because oh, like students aren't going to know what you're talking about. And I'm like, right, but – they are probably familiar, like they they're aware of basic familial relationships, and I'm willing to bet <laughs> they have that understanding. Some of them have like seen a child before. Like I think it'll be, <laughs> I think it'll be fine. Because my jokes aren't yeah. like I don't think you need to be a parent to understand that parents mm-hmm. or that kids are weird and sometimes scary, which is like a lot of what my material is it's like oh this weird thing happened and i happened to mm-hmm. be doing like a dad thing at the time like i have a joke about potty training my toddler where it's like yeah this is it's a fun story like you don't have to have potty trained a toddler to understand right. you know that it's weird when you're trying to like make that deal with them of like what do you what do i have to give you to get you to cooperate with this and yeah. It's it's one of those things where it's like, well, agents were telling me that, and I just did it anyway, and then I started booking a ton of colleges, and it's like, I don't think the lesson is that if you want to do colleges, start talking about your kids, but, uh, <laughs> you know, just, I, I've always been pretty uh, into just talking about or doing what I want to be talking about or doing, which is why I'm a bad employee, like, that is... <laughs> Where it's just like, oh, can you go restock the shelves? I don't feel like it, so no. <laughs> but yeah. But if it's like, hey, can you uh, drive to Nashville to tell a hundred people jokes about your wife and the chickens that she adopted during the pandemic? I was like, yeah, absolutely. That sounds great. I'll go do that all day long. <laughs> I think what you've managed to do, Glenn, is you exist in the great tradition of comics and filmmakers and and screenwriters alike, Oscar-winning ones even, who take their experiences or their neuroses or their problems or their circumstances and they do make them the problem of the audience so that just puts you in a pantheon of grades i appreciate it (laughs) but it is uh it is like i don't know that i i can do it another way where Mm -hmm. the times that i've i've tried to write even stand-up material but like scripts or anything if it doesn't feel uh like if it's not based on personal experience, then I'm, I mm-hmm. lose interest almost immediately. Um, where even if it is like, I have a, a, a animation pilot that I've been working on where it's like, it's set in the future. There's aliens. And it's like, I don't have future alien experience, <laughs> but like <laughs> other than that, like it is like very personal and it is just like, yeah, like this is my experience as a dad. But if that dad was in the future and there were aliens around, and it's like, yeah. <laughs> if I got hired to just be like, hey, can you write this alien show? And I would immediately just try to figure out a way to insert myself into the show and yeah. uh, like make it more relatable to me specifically, which, uh, as I've found out from internet comments, not everyone enjoys. <laughs> but, you know, you can't aim for everybody. Well, I just want to thank you for taking the time to make us a part of your personal experience, Glenn. Oh, thank and you I for so having appreciate me. Appreciate that you have come on. And talk to us, talked to us today about, you know, a real gap in the feeling scene coverage, which is just dads who are out here doing everything they can. Yeah, I'm trying my best. <laughs> just just like Bandit. <laughs> Thank you so much to Glenn Tickle. His new special, Glenn Tickle Against the World Crime League, you know it and you love it, is out now. We will put a link in the show notes to that and to Glenn's website where you can find out everything else he has going on. And now, that one quick thing before I go, there is a delightful little horror movie that is streaming on Amazon Prime and that is directed by Nanach Khan called Totally Killer. And I highly recommend you watch it this Halloween. It started and I was like, this is, okay guys, but like, But, like, we did the final girls. Like, we did the final girls. Like, we did the travel back in time to kill the killer, to save the bomb kind of thing. Like, that has happened. Am I 
am I seeing this correctly? Like it just, there was, there was some flashbacking. There was some deja vuing. So I will say like when this started, like I, I was immediately having a good time. It was kicky. It was moving along. It stars Kiernan Shipka as a high school girl whose, yes, uh, mother dies the hands of a serial killer. And she then finds a way to go back in time so she can go back to her mother's youth to stop a series of events that kicks off in the 1980s that it will eventually lead to her death uh, decades later when uh, Kiernan's Jamie Hughes is a teen. Um, but listen, 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 listen. If you've seen The Final Girls and the movie starts immediately feeling familiar to you, don't worry about it. They've got it. They've got everything in hand. I had a blast with this movie. I was laughing out loud. The like fish out of water, the fish out of water element of comedy can be really a hard line to toe because it's like, listen, are we going to beat this drum over and over again? Are these jokes going to start to feel hacky? But like the, the Jamie Hughes in the eighties as a child of like 2022, 2023 Gen Zer works the whole time. The jokes are great. Maybe look so forward to a version of the Final Girls that exists when some teenager has to go back in time to the era that I grew up in in the 2000s so they can make a bunch of horrified jokes about how fucked up that era was. I, I, I was like, oh my god, I can't, I'm looking forward to this now. I can't wait till my era gets skewered in a horror comedy about a girl going back in time to save uh, her mom from being murdered. Uh, it is, it's got some good spooky scares. It's got great kills. The kills are not screwing around in this movie. Um, that the sweet 16 killer is going hard at people. The 80s fashions are great. Um, yeah, this movie is a really fun time. It's a really good self-referential horror. It's a really good horror comedy. It works. It's clicking on all cylinders. Yeah, I'm a fan. And that is just a simple recommendation that I can give to you about a way that you can have a fun time this Halloween. So plan a movie night and put on Totally Killer. Great job to all involved. Honestly, I think it's my favorite thing Kieran and Chip has ever done. So snaps to everybody. And that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod, or you can send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorkru on Twitter, which is J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Ethan. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Maximum Fun. Maximum Fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.